Good morning, everyone. Oh, it's so good to see your faces. You found us. We tried to hide. We tried to sneak away, but you found us anyway. Oh. <laughs> uh, hopefully more will be coming. Hopefully we didn't lose any in the transition over here. Um, so what's happened is, is Dr. Simon's meeting was in here. So if you're here to hear, if you are here to hear Dr. Simon, you're in the wrong place. Uh, we've switched places. He's moved up to Lambeth End. Uh, there were just too many people uh, for his seminar to fit into this room. So um, that was a better space. So we've switched. Um, but if you were here to, to hear Philip Simon and you're here, you might as well stay because you'll be blessed by the Rojases. So um, I have forgotten to mention that all of these meetings are recorded, um, not video recording, but audio recording, and they will be available the following day on the conference website. So if you miss a meeting, which is inexcusable, but if you miss a meeting, you can always catch up by going to the, the conference website, which is carolinasba.org, and you can follow the, the links and find it. So, uh, And that will be up for... I mean, we've got previous years of camp meeting on the website. So uh, it's hard to remember everything that you hear. And so you can go back and, and listen again and, and review it and, and be blessed again. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I need to cover. I think that's it. So let's have prayer together. Right. Heavenly Father, thank you for another gorgeous day. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here with us and that you bless Pastor Eli and, and Loida as they share. Uh, also, this morning I saw a lot of excited youth um, boarding the, the bus, getting ready to go rafting today. So I pray that you'd watch over them and protect them uh, and that they would have an enjoyable day and connect with each other and with you. And, um, and again, bless us this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Really appreciate it. So you guys are the remnant, aren't you? Praise the Lord. Uh, good to have you here with us this morning. Um, I'm excited about today's subject because it's, again, one of those things that we need to be thinking about and be very intentional. All right. Are you doing your homework? Remember what it was? Appreciation notes, right, to your loved ones. And because we're talking about family, talking about kids, we're talking about parents, we're talking about anyone that is important in your life. And so, you know. Just a few notes to tell them that you really care for them. Uh, like this one. Remember, God's got great plans for you. That's a good one for young people, right? Or older people, you know. We're never done. Amen? The older I get, the younger I feel. <laughs> and the more I realize how short life is. Right? Isn't that something? I love it when I see Jesus in you. Isn't that a great one? You're welcome to copy this one, you know, and use them. They're not copyrighted, so you know you can just borrow them and use them. But I'll, I like this one. I love it when I see Jesus in you. And one more. You are teaching me about God's love. Ah, that's beautiful, isn't it? All right. So I, I don't want to start with a picture that makes you sad. Um, you know, I'm realizing the light is right on top of it. I don't know if uh, Pastor, yeah, I don't know if the light hit. We'll, we'll figure it out later. But anyway, if you can't see it, well, that's it's a funeral, and there's a casket in there. And and that is the question. The question comes to mind is, is that when you need to be concerned about legacy? 
Um, I mean, I'm sure no, <laughs> it's too late by then, right? But you know what? Here at this point is when, when your family and your loved ones or the people that were around you realize, thank you, Matt, for coming. Um, <laughs> um, that's when you realize the legacy that you're going to leave behind. I have been to many funerals as a pastor, of course, and I realized that there's a huge difference, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard this before, but there was one, one case, Donna, and that was Edna Camp's funeral. You remember that. Um, that was in Charleston, South Carolina. I was a pastor in Charleston, South Carolina. And Edna Camp's was a man that had, uh, uh, he, he had been an engineer, uh, worked on that many years, and yet he chose um, either where it was a life circumstances, whatever the case might have been, but he chose to focus on relationships. And when we had his funeral, that our church was packed. We had to do, uh, we did two of them. One actually, actually not far from here in the mountains uh, where his uh, remains were going to be laid uh, to rest and also was very well attended. And, and I remember sitting there thinking, you know, this is where the difference is. You invest in relationships, and that's where, unfortunately, you don't see it because you are the one inside the box, right? But the people around you can see it because they realize that, boy, this person made a difference in somebody's life. Where I have been to funerals of individuals that did not focus on relationships and a couple of lawyers, a couple of relatives, and the pastor or priest or whoever is leading the funeral, and that lets you know that that person did not focus on leaving a legacy behind, right? Probably a little too late to think about that legacy. This morning, we're going to talk about that, and Lloyd is going to lead us in the next section. Yes, because legacy is an important impact that you make on those who outlive you. It's an opportunity for you to change the world for them. And in Rand's installation project, it is like tossing a rock into a pond. And there is a liquid splash followed by the ripple effect that continue once the rock falls. That's the legacy. Yes. No matter what, no matter what, being intentional or not intentional with life, each of us will leave something behind us. And it's up to us to decide how far those ripples will travel. So, um, but, you know, sometimes we think that we have to destroy I know especially of one person, my mom. My mom was a, um, she just passed away not long ago, and she was a very, very, very simple lady. She was so humble and a godly woman, to say the least. And um, when she passed away, I wish she would have been able to see <laughs> the funeral that things happened. That it, people came from all over, all over, to see to that funeral. Even the fire department came. The people from the fire department, they came to pay tribute to her because basically she loved everyone. She loved people and she she always had a table full of food <laughs> and fed everybody. So it's a legacy. It's what do you want? The ripple effect. What would it do? And for Christian families, leaving a legacy is about doing things God's way 
and for his purpose. That is good. And this morning, on the five minutes of prayer that we're going to have, we want to invite you to right there where you are, right next to someone, among the box that we have on the back, that we have several prayer requests, so please pray for those prayer requests. But we also want to invite you to ask God to bless our family. Because no matter how old you are, and no matter what stage you are, life is unpredictable, and we are going to leave a legacy. And we don't have to think about it, oh, I'm not old enough. Or so right at whatever stage you're in, we need to ask God to help us be his hands and his feet and live a legacy that will glorify his name. So right where you are, please get together and have a word of prayer for a few minutes. And it's okay if you do it by yourself or you just want to do it by yourself. It's all right. The idea is that you pray and ask God to help you think about the legacy that you want to leave behind. We're going to be talking about this this morning, but this is a good time to think through this. So let's spend a couple minutes there. So, they say that you never eat when they uh, 
fruit of the trees that you planted, kind of an expression meaning that you always eat the fruit of generations, previous generations that planted trees and left them there for, for us to enjoy. And that's a reality when it comes to our lives. Uh, we're not going to do this uh, again because of the sake of time, but I'd like to hear about, about a few ideas of things that you feel are important when you think about legacy. Um, what would be something important to transfer to the next generation? Say it. Give Personal relationship with God. Thank you. You're introducing neighbors to God. Okay. Yeah. Evangelism. Leaving that, that service mentality, mission-mindedness mentality. Yes. Generosity. Great. Yes, that's a great one. Great, great idea. And it is because those are the things that you have to in, uh, bring into the next generation to be intentional about it. So you mentioned them. I've got a list of them here that we're going to talk about today. Spiritual heritage, um, the legacy of values, moral, civil, relational, family tradition, and leadership, which is one that we need to be intentional about. And they, they mentioned it more in just a moment. But um, it all starts with understanding our definition of success. This is many years back, and today it probably wouldn't shock anyone, but, but when, it, when I saw it, it really shocked me. We're talking about, oh boy, uh, late 80s, early 90s, there was a program on television where they were doing interviews of several individuals, questions about their lives, and and one of them was a, uh, a prostitute. And it's, uh, they knew she was a prostitute. It wasn't a surprise. They were asking di different aspects of her life. Uh, the crowd participated, and they will cheer about things that were said, or they will, you know, or clap or whatever. But um, when they asked her what she did, she said uh, that she was a prostitute, that's what she did for a living. Um, not a lot of reactions from the crowd, as expected back at that point, you know, in those days. Um, it was uh, shone upon, I guess. People didn't like that profession too much. They went out asking different things about her profession. And, and then it got to the point of how much money does she make? And she started to share her figures. She had the latest vehicle. She had all this fur in her car. I mean, on herself. Uh, she had all kinds of uh, luxuries. And her income was a three, uh, you know, what is it, six, six figures? <laughs> you know, it was just humongous amount of money. A standing ovation because of all the money she was making. I, at that point, they had forgotten what she did for a living, <laughs> and they focused on the material aspect of it. And that's the reality. Very often, you think about success, and, and in the mind of many individuals, when you think about success, you're thinking about, well, did you become a CEO of this, or how much money you have in the bank, or what kind of vehicle you drive, and et cetera, et cetera. 
But is that really the definition of success? I also had the opportunity of working in, in a really uh, difficult area in Philadelphia many years back. And it was an area where, uh, maybe I shouldn't use the word slums, it was North Philly. Uh, police would leave at, uh, as soon as it started to get dark. You see police vehicles leaving, and that's where I was working. We experienced great miracles working there. But, but one thing that I would notice, and it was so interesting, is the, the uh, drug dealers, the leaders, the owners of the block or whatever the, the circumstances were, um, live in these areas. And by the way, there were areas that were falling apart. I mean, buildings that were empty. Uh, there was a fire. That building will stay like that for, for years. And then the, there were people living in the houses next door. You know, that kind of situation. Very run down. But in the houses that were owned by these drug dealers, there was always a luxury vehicle parked outside. And I'm talking about top notch, you know, uh, the most expensive cars you could see, think of were parked in front of these houses. Um, I remember one day seeing a young man coming out of this one of these houses. His attire was really, really bad, but he had a gold necklace that was about this thick <laughs> around his neck. And he was so proud. I mean, that guy thought he was a million dollars. Maybe he cost a million dollars. I don't know. But that was valuable for him. That was success for him. And that's sometimes what we do in our lives. We focus on success thinking, yeah, it's what you accomplish. It's what the money you put in the bank, the things that you have. But is that truly success? And we know that the answer is no, right? It's not. It, that is not success. It can help us uh, enjoy life more, but it's not truly success. What is success? And I want to propose to you that making it to heaven is success. What do you think about that? And, of course, making it to heaven through the grace and work of Jesus Christ. Not for anything we do, but because Jesus works in our lives, we allow him to work. But eternal life with Jesus, that is true success. Let that sink in for a second. Because that's what makes a difference. I remember reading a statement by uh, Max Lucado. I was reading one of his books. I wish I remember which one it was. But I, as I was reading it, he said, something to this effect. He says something like this. Our greatest joy and what I want to do in heaven is just be with Jesus forever. And as I was reading that, at that point, my reaction was, well, wait a second. What about traveling to unseen worlds? What about discovering things? What about doing, you know, starting to think about all the things that we're going to do in heaven. You know, this idea that you're going to be playing a harp for eternity. We know that's not the truth, right? There's so much you're going to do in heaven. And I'm thinking about all that. And it suddenly hit me. But I, can, I will be able to do all that because of Jesus. So isn't it Jesus the reason we want to be in heaven? And yes, that's what we want to accomplish. I mean, that's what Jesus said. I love, I love, 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 love John 14, verses 1 through 3. Right? Let not your heart be troubled. God, believe also in me. My father's mansions are my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, and when I come, I will take you to myself. And this is the part that I love. That what is the promise there? Where I am, you there I am. Wow. What a powerful statement. What a encouraging uh, text that we find in scripture. That when he comes, we'll be able to be with him for eternity. And that, my friends, is the greatest success. 
So when you think about, and of course the first section we're going to talk about is the spiritual legacy, we need to think about that. What are we going to transfer to the next generation? And that is my personal connection with Jesus so I can connect them with him. And see, I have a theory, and in fact I've, I've, I've read about it in certain books, is the idea that we're losing a lot of our young people. And that's a fact. I mean, that's not a theory. That's a fact. And then, they, you know, every writer in his book or her book starts telling us that this is the reason. And they focus on something. Some blame worship. Some blame this. Some blame the other things. But what I feel is our greatest mistake has been the, the fact that we have failed. And I'm speaking in general. And for all of our churches, um, Baptists, Methodists, Adventists, whatever it is, Christian churches, who have failed to make their children's uh, their children feel that that was their church. And they grow up disconnected. They go to their parents' church, and when they get to a certain age, they lose that connection. It's one of the reasons. I'm not saying that's the only reason. But it's one of the reasons we have failed going back in general, because we fail to make that connection. And our kids, uh, you know, some kids, you can connect them all you want. They might be connected for a while. The devil will come and disconnect them, right? But sometimes it has been the fact that we have not been able to transfer this relationship with Jesus. For them to have a personal experience that is real and life transforming, that they know him personally. Isn't that awesome? To be able to do that. And that's what we need to be focusing on. I got these pictures here and these folks here. Because if you know anything about uh, Morris Benden, is that he's a writer of uh, Righteousness by Faith, right? That's why he, that has been his focus. He loves it. He's written a bunch of books on that. I read most of his books, not all of his books, and I love them, each one of them. One day his son uh, tells a story that one day uh, he comes home from a youth retreat. And he is really excited about something he learned in that youth retreat. Dad, Dad, I just, I just, I, I just got to tell you, it was a great experience. And his father was like, well, what was it? Don't tell me. So they sit down and say, Dad, you know, the preacher talked about something I haven't heard before. And what is it, Dad? He said, it was something about righteousness by faith. How do you react to that, right? <laughs> That's all he's talked about for years, you know. His son was not getting it. But sometimes that happens. But the point is, that we need to be intentional because that is going to happen in our relationship. And when you're intentional, it can transform your children's experience. I, um, I don't remember the year exactly. I think it was about 2004, somewhere around there. And um, our son was, I, was attending Pisgah Academy. It was uh, in the um, puppet ministries, puppet ministries. And uh, was on a trip, and we happened to knew, know where he was going, so we went to visit with him as he was going on that trip. That was one of our former churches, so he had a lot of friends there. So we got there, he started to visit with his friends, and we spent the Sabbath there. And about close to sundown, after a AY program that the church had and, and the uh, Pisgah students had participated in, our son kind of disappeared, but you know, that was expected. That was a lot of friends his that attend there, so. When suddenly someone comes into, the church has finished, a group of people talking outside, and they said, hey, guys, there was an accident, and three of our kids were in the accident. And it's down the block. It was, I don't know, five, six blocks down the road from the church. And who knew who he was? Well, we had n nobody knew who he was. 
So I called my son on his cell. I said, I'm going to tell him just in case, you know, he's in the area so he can be worried about it. Maybe it's one of his pets. Called, didn't answer, hang up, called again, and a police officer came out. Whew. Talk about. <sighs> so he says, your son is, is got to be one of your the three kids in the accident. Uh, go to this hospital and meet him there. We get to the hospital. As we walk in, they said, one of your kids is not well. But you can see your son. My son had gotten all these injuries on his head. It was all over his head, cuts and bruises and everything. So when I come to see him, he is, and I'm sorry if I'm too, too um, descriptive, but he was covered in blood, completely covered. They had not been able to clean him. They had nothing happened. And I said, so tell me, they tell me one of the kids is not well. See, my son covered in blood. You know, I felt the worst. And I came to him and I said, son, are you okay? Can you, can you talk? Can they say, yeah, dad, I can talk. And he says, son, can I pray with you? was short of words, and he, he extends his hand, touch my shoulder, and says, Dad, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. He says, Dad, it's okay. I'm going to pray. Whew. A few hours passed by. One of them went into a very um, difficult surgery, and we had all kinds of prayer warriors praying over those three boys, and uh, and they all made it. And uh, you know my son, or at least many of you know my son. He's a pastor here, and uh, and and. But the 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 things I can never forget was not so much the blood. It was not so much you know all the things that I saw when I came in. It was the fact that he said, "Dad." shook me up. And you might say, well, that was great. I mean, isn't that what you want to hear? Well, yes. But sometimes you wonder, right? But it is awesome when you have, your kids have gotten to this way, to this relationship with Jesus where they, they're able to do that. See, when you go to Scripture, you find that there's so many examples of good things or bad things. And by the way, never, never assume that great parents will have great kids that will be forever in the church and never that will happen to them. Or that really terrible parents will have terrible kids that will grow up to be the worst. No. We have learned in life that it just happens in so many ways. The idea is that you do your best and you, you try your hardest to transfer your faith and your relationship with Jesus to them. And that is what makes the difference. So we have Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And we have been studying about them, right? Sabbath school lesson, if you have been following Sabbath school lesson. And we know that one thing that has come across is that they were faulty. Would you agree with me? Faulty. I mean, these men, men of God, were humans like just you and I. By the way, I love uh, James chapter 5, verse 17, where you see this great prophet of, Lord, of God, Elijah, right? Made, uh, made, well, was used by God by bringing fire from heaven and destroy the sacrifice, and, and it just does incredible things. He's taking up on a chariot of fire and didn't die, which is straight, straight up to heaven. 
And yet, in, in James 5.17, James says, He was a man with a nature like ours, like human nature. Which reminds me that I, too, have a, a, a the, the, the possibility, right, of living a life, a Christ-centered life that will make a difference. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they had the oral transferring of their faith, their history, their values. Um, overall, they have great examples of transferring this faith, and we also can see the mistakes that they made and how God worked inside, inside of those mistakes. And then we come to a character. His name is Eli. Eli was a priest, and he had his kids who were part of the ministry. Now, they had grown up in the service at the sanctuary, and perhaps they got used to this thing to the point that they lost the awe of serving God. Okay? And so we come to this verse. This is when Samuel receives this message from God, and now he has to give it to Eli, the priest. Uh, and he says, for I have told him that I will judge. So by, by the way, this is God telling Samuel to give this message to, to, to Eli. It says, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. He knew about what his children were doing. He never did anything to stop them because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned by for by sacrifice or offering forever. They have come to a point where there was no longer intercession for them. That's the problem. And it is sad that it was the sons of the high priest who come to this state. Because Elijah, Eli uh, didn't take the time to talk to his kids and help them grow grow, grow better. We go on to learn about other stories, like, for instance, Joshua and the spiritual legacy that he tried to leave with his family. And he left it with his own children, but it didn't last long enough. Because we go through the Bible, we go through Judges chapter 2, in verses 7 to 13, where we see that there is a decay in the transferring of this faith from one generation to the next. And so the immediate generation kept some of some uh, uh, most of this faith, but then the following generation didn't. And in Judges chapter 2, 7 to 13, tells us about the, the, the experience. I'm going to pick on three verses that I have here on the screen. It's verses 8, 10, and 11. And this is what happens a couple of generations later. It says, Joshua... The son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, when uh, died when he was 110 years old. He had been there through all the difficult years of, of uh, Israel traveling through the desert, so the miracles. He was, he was a strong in the Lord. They buried him with the, within the border of his inheritance. Verse 10 says, Now when all the generations had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, not nor the work which he had done for Israel. So the previous generations have forgotten about Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the, the Lord tells Moses to tell the children of Israel that what they needed to do was to sit their children around them and transfer these generations, teach them about the things that they need to know, the laws, the commandments, and then tell them to do this as a tradition they will teach them to the next generation. They, they forgot to do this. We come to verse 11 where it says, Then the children of Israel do evil in the sight of the Lord and serve Baal, and they forsook the Lord of the Lord of their fathers. So right there, the next generation loses that because the previous generation failed to make this transfer. 
So in these biblical examples, you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They transferred their faith. The next generation followed that. Israel and Joshua, um, we know, we see how it starts breaking down. Then by the time we come to Eli, uh, there's no transfer of this faith. But that doesn't mean that no one was doing it because we come to a beautiful story that we find in this book. And that's Hannah and her son, Samuel, the one that writes the book uh, where Eli is, is uh, chastised for what he was doing. So what is this story? It's one that you're, I'm sure you're familiar with. It's, a, it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2, and it tells us the story of Esther and how she pleads with the Lord. And verses uh, 8 to ten through 18 is the intense prayer where she breaks her heart before the Lord. She says, Lord, I, I want a child, and if you give me a child, I'm going to give it back to you because I will know that this is your gift, and I will give your gift back to you, which is beautiful when you think about what she was doing. Symbolically and literally, she makes this decision to give to the Lord the gift that he was going to give her. She brought her concerns to God, and she trusted him with, with this. How do we know that? In verses 17 and 18 is the end of this prayer is when Eli tells her, hey, woman, you're drunk. Stop doing what you're doing. And she says, no, I have a pain in my heart, and I'm praying to God. And so then she tells Eli what's going on. And then Eli answers. When you read the Bible commentary and even Sister White's on this, on this passage, she says that even though Eli had not been serving God faithfully, when he talks to her, God uses his words to pronounce a blessing on her. Isn't that awesome? Again, God using faulty instruments. There's always grace when it comes to God, right? So Eli answers to her and says, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maiden find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate. And that means that she was fasting and she stopped her fasting because now she has trust in God. And she, her face was no longer sad. She knew God was going to answer her prayer. And God does. Amen. So we go to the rest of the story. Then verses 19 to 28 tells us how she dedicated her son to the Lord. And during this time is... Um, is the time when now she focuses on instructing her son to follow on the ways of the Lord. Now, this was a mighty dedication and a mighty effort for this woman because she had him for a short time. Then she visits yearly, but for a short time, she has 100% of his attention, and she focuses on transferring that faith to him. <coughs> uh, we go to verses 21, 23, and 24. It says, now the man Elkanah, that was her husband, and all his house went up to offer to the Lord yearly the sacrifices of his vow. But Hannah did not go up. She did say to her husband, not until the child is weaned, when I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. There is a question about when is it that you uh, end weaning a child. And some people have said, well, it's only while nursing, so it's only a couple of years. But when you study the results of her experience with him, you know that it, was, it, was, it had to be a few years, not just a, a couple of them. It had to be a lot more because of the strength that this boy has in his faith. He grows out to be a man of God, and I had to do a lot with what he did. Verse 23 goes on to say, The woman stayed, nursed her son until she had weaned him. And verse 24 says, Now when she had weaned him, she took him up to with her, and she brought the child to Eli. And here then she gives him to Eli and surrenders him as she has promised to the Lord. She says, this is the child for whom I was praying. 
And in verse 27, she says, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there, and she leaves him there to serve the Lord, and he dies for the rest of his life. What did she do right? Now, remember, she had a short time, so it was intense, but she was focused, and she uh, followed the promises that she made to God. Number one, she covered her son with prayers. Prayers are so important, and God answers our prayers, sometimes in miraculous ways. It's, it's amazing how when we are praying for our kids, God is going to do amazing things. You want to share your story, Mom? We can do it later. Um, so covering the, your children with your prayers is so important because it, it's something that will change your children's lives. How does it work? This way. I can tell you exactly how it works, but I know it works. You know, John 16 tells us that the Holy Spirit is that the one that convicts the heart of the unrighteous, right? And um, etc. Um, well, our son was. By, by the way, uh, you know, please don't get mad at us for telling our stories, but that's what we know, right? And so it, it's the experience that we have had. About 16, he got really difficult to deal with. Yeah, you can tell. <laughs> he gave his permission. And uh, if you see him walking around, ah, you were doing this and that, right? Well, um, he was going to high school, and he was not attending. It was a short period of time because of circumstances. We could not have him in our school. So we had him in a uh, Christian school, but it was not a uh, Seventh-day Adventist school. And in this school, he made a lot of friends that were not necessarily Christian. They were there because of whatever uh, circumstances their families had, and that's what they were going to school. Well, anyway, long story short, he started being difficult, and we had no idea what it was. So we have never confronted our kids with anything. We have confronted God. Does that make sense? Because we cannot change our kids' minds. We can't. Uh, by the way, wives, God cannot change your husband's heart. I'm sorry, you cannot change your husband's heart, and vice versa. Man, uh, God cannot, you cannot change your wife's heart. Only God can work in them. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Only God can do that. So, so we started to pray, and we said, Lord, there's something going on, and we need you to work in, in, in our son, and uh, about a, a week went by, and we've been praying very earnestly. He didn't know we were praying for him, but we were praying earnestly. And so one day he says, Mom, Dad, I need to talk to you. All right. So we set up a meeting. Remember, we talked about the court cases that we used to have? So we set up a meeting, and so he said, okay, let's talk. What's going on? He says, it comes with a stack of CDs. He says, at school, I have a friend that introduced me to this music. It was the worst kind of metallic, uh, hard rock, uh, you know, music that you can imagine. And and I'm I saw that I'm like, oh man, this is going to go over. But you know, stay quiet. He was talking. I was listening. God was talking. And so he says, but you know what? I have been troubled about it the last few days. I just I love it and I can't let go. And God has brought me to convince me that I need to go in there. Can you do that with your teenager just by arguing with them <laughs> or with her? And the answer is, you know, the answer is no. 
the more you argue, well, that music's from the devil. You never know that. You're judging them. <laughs> no, I mean, you never get anywhere. But you tell God to do it, he did it. So, so he comes with this block group of, I mean, this number of CDs, and he says to us, and you know what? I am so, so, um, God has spoke to me so clearly that instead of giving them back, instead of giving them away or selling them, I think he wants us in the church. What do you think? And, you know, inside of me, I'm just doing the dance, the celebration. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know. And then just <laughs> look at him and say, I think this is a great idea. Son. You, are, you want some help with that? Why don't we pray more for our kids? By the way, you never stop, tra- uh, you never stop trying, by the way. Um, I prayed 20 years for my kids. 20 years. So we never went to church. Um, I had been praying earnestly for my kids. I was already working as a pastor. Um, one day I come home to visit with my wife, my kids, and uh, and so the one of the churches in the area knew that I was in the area uh, visiting. So he said, "Can you come, kids? It's Sabbath morning. I'm ready, dressed up, ready to go. The kids are ready to go. I'm leaving, and I see my dad sitting in the in the living room watching TV." He had never gone to church, never wanted to come to church. Uh, we'll get mad if we insinuated it. And so as I'm leaving, the Holy Spirit said something to me. <laughs> I turned to my dad. I said, Dad, would you like to go to church today? And I almost did this. Would you like to go to church today? Okay, bye. <laughs> I mean, I didn't think he was going to say yes. And he looked at me and said, okay. 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 <laughs> um, Okay, let's go. <laughs> and so he went, got ready. We waited for him a couple minutes. Went to church. And um, as I was closing my sermon, I know God led me to make an appeal. And for the first time in his life, he said to his side, came forward. He said, Mr. Jenkins, I love you. 20 years later, he never stopped praying for someone. You never know the moment that God will be able to reach him into his son's life. So she covered her son with prayer. She trained this child personally. Notice this, personally. She didn't hire someone to, to, to train him in the spiritual things. And I don't mean hiring because sometimes we get calls. I'm sure pastor uh, uh, has gotten several calls and said, Pastor, my kids are ready. Come give me Bible studies. And and I've always done this. I've always, my first thing is saying, hey, would you like to do it? I'll help you do it. You, you know, teach your kids. Sometimes parents say, no, 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 I, they never listen to me, so I'd rather you do it. And if they don't listen to them, I'd rather do it. So they will listen to me, right? <laughs> but, you know, if you can, really training that transferring of faith. Faithfully fulfilled her promise to God. She made a promise. She followed up with this. And she gave her precious child. You know, have you given your kids to the Lord? I don't care if they're 40 years old and, and, and they, they're living a crazy world. I mean, crazy life. Just give them to God. He will work with them. He will change their hearts. It's his problem. It's not your problem. That's what she did. Now, the Bible is silent about Elkanah. Who's Elkanah? The father, right? It was dad. It, he, it, the Bible is silent. But then I went to the Bible commentary. And it says this, and I think it's worth reading. I usually don't like to read the entire thing, but I will because it's important. It says, 
much depends upon cooperation of husband and wife in the Christian home. Correct? Yes. We have talked about it this week. How important it is that, that, that dad is there. How important it is that mom is there. Elkanah was deeply touched by the consecration of his wife and heartily joined, uh, heartily joined her in her desire. He did not just listen to her and say, all right, well, that's her thing. No, it says that he joined her. He was part of this training. He was part of this dedication. In fact, if you go to the, uh, to the laws that was given to Israel, it says that if a woman made a, 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 um, a vow, if she made a promise to God, and her husband heard her and said, no, you're not going to do that, she couldn't do it. But if he stayed quiet, it was an approval of it. Well, obviously, he stayed quiet, so he approved of it, and he was part of this training. He is an excellent example of Paul's omniscient in 525. I'm sorry, Ephesians 525, where he says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He assumed responsibility for her vow and associated himself most intimately with it. He was not a absent parent. He was actively involved, yet recognized her freedom of choice and desire that her choice of consecration to God met with success. Meet with success. His attitude illustrates the desire of the heart of Christ to work with each man in such a way as to enable him to express his own individuality and thereby reveal to the universe the prismatic beauty of the divine character. I love it. He was actively involved. Even though the Bible is quiet, we find that, yes, it was, it was part of this training. So what was the spiritual legacy that they, uh, that they taught us, Elkanah and Anna? What, 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 was, what was what we get from them? And that is that we need to have conversations with our kids. We have, we have talked about the importance of, of communication in the family between husbands and wives, husbands, uh, parents and children, extended family members. But when it comes to this area, it's very important that we are intentional and we do the training for them as they get older, training for baptism. Talk about the difficult passages and the difficult challenges. Today we're having a lot of challenges, and our kids are very often alone in making these decisions because we have not uh, inculcated a culture of them of sharing these things with them. And so discuss these hot potatoes with them. Sit down, uh, reason with them, work with them. But remember, the job of convicting and changing those hearts and those minds is not yours. Whose is it? It's God's. Holy Spirit. So do it with prayer. Do it begging God, uh, imploring God that he will be very involved in the process. Help them to speak about their faith. This is so important. So during this time where our kids had to be in this school, uh, both of them had to be there for, for some period of time, we, we, it was so interesting to see what happened in this, this school. Well, number one, when we brought them, to the to the school to register them, um, they said they denied us not only on paper, you know, denied, but they looked us in the face and said, "Your kids cannot attend the school." I said, "Why? Why not? What's what's wrong with our kids?" He said, "Well, you're Seventh Day Adventist. You're a cult. You don't believe in Jesus. You don't believe in this. You don't believe in that." We're like, "Ooh, okay." Um, so very lovingly and patiently, we said. Could you look into that, please? Could you check into that? So they called a local pastor who at this day, up to this day, we have no idea who he was. 
And this pastor said, no, 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 you guys are wrong. Seventh-day Adventists believe in Jesus. They're, they're a Christian church. So they allowed us in, right? And so our kids were there. They were there less than a year, right? About a year? A year and some, right? Okay, so we're a year and some. So one of the challenges that our kids go have when they go to other schools is, is Saturday activities, right? Friday night, Saturday activities. And we saw the loveliest things happening in there that was just uh, God answering so many ways. You realize that, that our kids' friends started to change activities. So now the parties were Saturday night instead of Friday night when everybody had them. And we're like, oh, really? Why are they doing that? Well, they said they wanted us to be there, so they're going to change it for us because they understand that we can't go on Sabbath. We're like, whoa, praise the Lord. You know, <laughs> God was working in their little hearts to stand up for their faith. But it's because we had had those conversations. We have ingrained in them the beauty of Sabbath, the, 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 the joy that you experience on Sabbath, you know. So try to work with your next generation and those that you love and understanding why is Sabbath such a beautiful day? Why is it such a day of enjoyment and pleasure and, and happiness? And when they experience that, they're going to want to have it. Tell them about the why. Tell them about what to do and help them to share what they have and their faith. And when they're being tested, to share with you so then you can pray with and for them. That's how you are transferring this faith to them. And that's what makes a difference. And if at any point you are at church, and you hear someone else, or maybe your kids saying, hey, I'm going, you, they, you hear them saying something about, I'm going to my dad's church or my mom's church. Make sure you have a conversation with them and say, and the younger the better, right, is, hey, why are you saying mom and dad's church? I mean, this is your church too, right? And then have the conversation. Because if they say, well, no, I mean, that's your church, mom, or that's your church, dad. Well, why are you saying that? Why are you not connecting? What's going on that is happening that is not allowing you to make that connection with the church? I had a cute story. There was this family in one of our churches that um, I, I've always, I've always, when I have my own congregation, I always stand at the door, and the kids are the most important members in the church. So when they come, I greet them before the parents, right? So I'm at the door, and, hey, how you doing? And I get on my knees and give them hugs and, you know, and so, so I'm greeting these this, this kids, and, and this family says, oh, my kids are so excited. They say they wanted to come to church. They wanted to see church. They were talking about this. And several times they said it for over a few months. When one day they're getting out of, the, uh, out of the car, and one of the kids looks at me and says, hey, mom, dad, there's church. <laughs> and they run to hug me, and mom and dad are like, oh, this is church. <laughs> It was Pastor Eli. That was church. <laughs> but they were excited. So these kids grow a little bit, a little bit older, and their dad becomes one of our head deacons. Or in fact, the head deacon. And so, these same kids um, um, love their dad. Their dad is very connected with them. So, guess what? Dad starts to pick up the offering. They went along with them. They were walking with them. And they will even handle the, the plate if it was necessary. And we're talking, you know, two, two tiny little things. Well, that was not right in the eyes of several elders. So they call me Pastor Eli. This is not right. You have to talk to these people. So I said, okay, okay, please don't talk to them. I said, <laughs> I'll, I'll do it. I'll talk to them. So 
So I go visit with the family. I, I didn't even know how to bring it about, but, you know, we're having the conversation, and they tell me, they tell me, Pastor Eli, you know, I could be so excited. They hear this is their church. In fact, now that I'm, that I'm collecting the offering with them, they just can't wait till Shabbos to get here. I'm like, wow, praise the Lord. So why are you visiting me? I said, nothing. I just wanted to say hi, see how things are going. You know, just never mind. Thank you so much. We'll see you in church. And I went back to the elders. Don't say a word to those people. <laughs> those kids are still, they're all teens now. In fact, one they're both in college now, and, and one is training to be a pastor. Why? Because it was their church. So how do you do that? And of course, I'm not going to give you a ABC. If you do one, two, three, it's going to work. It's, it's going to be individual work because every child is different. And the only one that knows your child better than anybody else is you. And you have the ability to connect with them, the opportunities to connect with them. And the only way to connect with them is having those conversations when you sit down with them and say, hey, what's going on in your mind? Why don't you like church? Why don't you like church? What's going on? What's happening? And making those conversations helping uh, you understand what's going in their minds so you can help them become part of this church family. And that way you they can learn about what is important. But you also help them discern between truth and lies and use the Bible to help them know what God expects from them. So living the spiritual le legacy is also about modeling faith for them. If it happens when you do things intentionally or not, by the way, what I'm saying here, just to clarify, is that you're going to leave a legacy regardless of whether you want it or not, okay? Whether it's a good legacy or not. Because your kids are watching what you're doing. They're learning from what you do. And so it makes a powerful difference. So might as well be intentional about what you're going to be doing. Get them involved in the church. Make spiritual things a priority. Yes, more important than secular things. And that's where sometimes we make a mistake. I'm not going to give you a, a, I'm going to tell you about the negative. I'm going to give you a positive example. I have, I have some years back, I was talking to uh, a Cuban that had moved here to the United States. I got through process and was just, just, just legal here, was working, living here. And so, was a musician. Now, I don't know how many Cubans you know. I've, uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of them. I'm married to one of them. And so, so. And I've noticed that a lot of Cubans, not everybody, don't think that a Cuban is necessarily a musician, but a lot of them are musicians, especially within the church. And so one day I'm, I'm talking to one of them. I said, guy, help me understand something. Why is it that so many Cubans, Adventist Cubans, are musicians? He says, oh, pastor, that's very simple. I said, what is it? He says, well, you know, it doesn't matter what career you take in Cuba, um, engineering, medicine, whatever it is, your final examinations are going to be on Sabbath, except for music. What? And then he told me about so many of his friends that had done the entire careers, pleaded with the government, please make an exception. And they, there were a few exceptions, but most of the time it was a no, and all they could do was get to music. You know, we have to help our kids understand the importance of having that work. And helping prioritize the things that are God. I was, I, was, I was one day visiting in Indianapolis in the, um, 
in the, uh, oh boy, now I'm forgetting the word, Amish, a, in an Amish museum. And as I'm going through the museum, I find a section of the Anabaptists. Do you know who the Anabaptists were? To put it in simple words, is a group of people, we're going back a few years, uh, is a group of people that were so, so, um, they had decided to be so faithful to God that there was only one way to baptize, and that was by immersion. And if you were not baptized by immersion, they wouldn't do it. They were against it because that's what the Bible says. You're thinking, that's a big deal. Well, hold on a second. Don't, don't think that yet. So as I'm going to the museum, I see the instruments that they used to torture these people to make them change their faith. I'm not going to tell you what it was because it's gruesome, but it was horrible. Spiky things and tearing things, and oh, it was horrible. And as I'm looking at those things, I had two thoughts. The first one was, wow, for something so simple, I mean, wow, for the baptism. And then it hit me, but that's what God wants. And they were willing to baptize. What has happened to our faith? It has become so compromised that anything goes. And we forget how important it is that, you know, when we live these principles for them in a such a way, we show them the love of God, by the way. Show them the love of God and what it means to follow these things. Don't just make them as rules that they have to follow. It's, it's about, basically, it's about following God's will and learning to love Jesus above all things. Because if you die because you were so stubborn uh, that you didn't want to do this and that, then it's on you. But if you die because you love Jesus more than anything else in the world, that's what makes a difference. And that's what will make you go to extremes following the faith. So make, help them, help them learn the importance of making spiritual things a priority. And of course, they're looking at you, right? And so if you're making casual decisions without thinking about what they mean, then it's going to give a bad time. And I'm going to go back to my very embarrassing story about the time I lied. Right, sister? I never talked to that person. I'm sorry. I haven't figured out who it was. But anyway, I made my mistake. What would have happened if I just looked at my son and said, oh, shut up. Let's go. You have a horrible signature. That's why I had to do it. What would have happened? I, some of you are looking at me like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Short story, I lied on a form that my form was my son was filling because he had a horrible signature. And then, and then when they said, is this your son's signature? I said, yes, it is. And then I realized I had lied, so I did it in front of him. So then I apologized. So that's the short story. But the bottom line was, you know, what if I would have said just, oh, Eli, forget it. That's not important. Yeah, you need to tell a little white lies once in a while. What kind of lesson we hear we he will learn? And that's what I'm talking about. You know, we, we are modeling for them. So that's what is very important that we do. Uh, think about what we're doing and realize the impact that they're having. Um, help them participate in children's programs or age-appropriate programs uh, involved with Jewish activities when they get to that age and help them to learn to serve and service from humble activities that will help them understand the importance of doing these things. And following Jesus, learning from his example. And so as you think of your intentionality, I have a couple of questions for you, okay? Remember, these questions are to make you think. So what did you learn from the Bible stories concerning the transfer of a spiritual legacy from the story of Hannah and Elkanah? What, what, what is it that you learned that you need to apply to your life as you think about the legacy that you're transferring? What are you, what are you already doing to help your family connect with God in a personal way? 
how can you take this spiritual training or spiritual legacy to the next level? If you're already doing things, then, you know, how can you improve on this? How can it be better? And then the last one, what will you start doing to make a difference in this area within your family? And if I can highlight any of them, let's highlight the last one. What will you do? What will you do that will help you uh, leave your family, uh, I'm sorry, leave your family a better legacy from your own personal experience? All right. So that was the spiritual legacy. What about values? Values are things that are important to you, right? So the question is, what is important to you? Now, don't answer too quickly because sometimes we have a standard answer, right? Oh, for me, it's going to church. Yes, it's being there. But is that really what is important to you? Or is that the most important thing to you? Well, interestingly enough, you have to take inventory of understanding what is important to you. You have to do some serious thinking. Some people says, show me your checkbook, right? Or your bank account, and I'll know what is important to you. And that's the reality. Okay, I will. But I'll say it again. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the things that you invest your time and your money in that are the, the, uh, the, the things that are important to you, are valuable to you. So I'll ask you two questions. How do you spend your time? Ah, besides work, of course. You know, if you have to work 40 hours a week, you know, that's 40 hours you spend working. But when you have time for yourself, what do you do? How do you spend your money? You know, where are you spending most of your money? Well, of course, I know housing is very expensive, so probably most of your money is going there. But what about the other things where you have the freedom to choose? What are you selecting, right? Uh, what amount of time do you spend with God? You know, I, I love to hear a testimony from Mark Finley where he tells about the time when he, was, he had not given his heart fully to the Lord yet. He will come late at night from whatever activities he was in. And as he will walk by his parents' room late at night, they were already, they thought he was, they were already sleeping. He says, as he walked by, he will hear his father praying for him. That is powerful. You know, how do you spend your time? What do you do in your leisure time? And uh, in, in how do you spend it with God? Is he a priority? Does he show what you and your schedule? How often do you take time to talk to family, friends, or neighbors? Sometimes we're so focused on our own lives. Guys, we're very we're terrible about this. We're so focused that sometimes we lose perspective of what's around us. And I'm, I'm terrible about that. I need to be very intentional about that. So do you spend time talking to friends and families and neighbors? That's very important. What do you think about when you're relaxed? What are, where do, you, do your thoughts go to? And when you put all these questions in perspective, you realize it, it leads you to understand what is more valuable to you. And then that's what you're showing your family that is valuable in your life. If the parents make fun of other people, what are the kids going to do? They're going to do the same thing, right? If the parents are critical of the church, the pastor, or the services, if they're having the pastor for lunch, and I don't mean that they invited him over, right? <laughs> but he's part of the meal. <laughs> um, that's another value that they're learning. Do not try to please your friends to the point of compromise, because then your kids will learn to do the same. Um, so the, the opposite is also true. If you're living a life that shows different values, that's what they're learning, and that's what they will be doing. So I got a, a great example right here. So let's say you love to volunteer. A lot of our folks love to volunteer. You spend a lot of time, but very often I see people doing it alone, right? So you love to volunteer. You go by yourself. Every time you can, you do it, but you leave your family behind. 
And then one day you say, oh, boy, you know, I'm leaving my family behind. Maybe I should do this. And you start dragging them, but they don't like it. And they come to a point where they actually hate volunteering, right? They're like, okay, I'm getting this wrong. So how do you do it? First of all, you love to volunteer? Tell them about your experience, how you're doing it, why is it bring joy to you. Then you talk to them and say, hey, what do you like to do? And then you help them get connected with places where they can volunteer. You, you've taken them. You participate with them. Uh, you find the opportunities. And then, if possible, then you do it together. And that's how you're transferring a value to your next generation. The same happens with church. It happens with everything we do. But it makes a difference, those values that are transferred. So my grandfather, and that's why I put there, mean abuelito. That means my grandfather. It's he is the tallest in that picture, <laughs> uh, and I'm not wearing a white shirt. I'm the one with the red sweater, and that was uh, Christmas many, many years ago, about 30 years ago. Can you believe that? <laughs> wow, it worked. <laughs> so that was my grandfather. My grandfather retired early. He, has having, he was having problems with the Sabbath, and he decided, well, might as well, um, you know, hang up my, my gloves, and so he retired. And what he did was the amazing part. Instead of finding another profession, another job, and make money some other way, he decided to dedicate his life to the church, and he became a lay pastor, elder, a lay pastor. Never got paid for anything he did, but he did it out of love. And he planted, well, in fact, nobody knows how many, but we think it was over 25 churches. He just, rest of his life, he's planted churches, planted churches, planted churches. And loved the Lord. He was a, he was a consecrated man. He was the, highest, the, hi the biggest influence in my life, by the way. Um, you know, uh, let's don't go there, but that's, that's, that's the reason. He was. So what did he do? He took me along to make his visits. Now someone could say, well, he was a, a, a little grandkid that had nothing else to do, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it wasn't quite like that. He took me alone intentionally. He never sat me and, and told me how to do a Bible study because I really didn't need to. I had seen him so many times. I had seen him give Bible studies to drug junkies, to, um, to families, to kids, to, I mean, just incredible experiences. And I was just all alone. Uh, recently, they asked me why, this is separate, but recently they asked me why do I, wh why do I love plant churches, plant churches. Uh, God has given me the chance to plant about seven different congregations. And so they asked me why, and I went back to this. Why do I love it? Because my grandfather took me along. Uh, I gave my first Bible study to another person when I was about 12 years old. Now, I'm going to tell you because you're going to laugh, but when God is working, it doesn't matter. I was about 12 or 13, somewhere around there. And the pastor said, you guys need to find Bible studies. And, you know, I was a little kid sitting in the, in the, in the pews, and I said, oh, that's what I got to do. <laughs> so I went out, knocking doors, you want a Bible studies? Get out of here, get out of here. Until I get to this house, knock on the door, and a young lady opens this door and says, sure. Oh, really? She says, yeah. I said, okay, can, can I come back next week? Yes, come back next week. I went back. I got ready to study lessons. You know, it's just, and I, I thought she was kidding with me, but knocking the door, she was there. Now, as again, picture this. 13 years old, little boy. I was very skinny back then. 
giving Bible studies to a college-age young lady. Can you imagine that? Makes no sense. And yet she welcomed me every Sabbath. We had Bible studies. Every time I get a question I didn't know, I just ran back to the pastor. Pastor, what about this? He gave me the answer. Came back, gave me the answer. One day she said, I said, do you want to be baptized? She says, yes. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry. Halfway through the Bible studies, her sister joined. Another college-age student. Little boy, 13 years old, teaching college-age people. Wow, isn't that God? There's no other way to explain it. And why was I doing that? Because my grandfather had brought me along all those years. What a legacy, right? Because he was intentional, because he brought me along, because every time he could, he brought me with him, and he made a powerful difference. Now, by the way, these two girls were baptized when it was time, when we got very close to the end of the Bible studies, the pastor joined me, gave the Bible studies, and they made the decision to leave the church. I said, praise the Lord, because I had nothing to do with that. It was all God did for me. So have conversations. Help them learn more about those things that they are interested in. Uh, lead them to read biographies of great people, all right? Be, <laughs> be careful with that one. I'm going to talk about, well, I'm, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, there's a lot of trash out there and horrible lives. No, look for lives that are worthy imitating, right? And help them to follow those lives, to read those biographies, learn Learn about those things. Um, find service opportunities. It will make a difference in their lives, and it will really revolutionize them. Also, help them understand that life is not all color roses. In fact, roses have what? Thorns, right? And it's important that they understand that. Uh, I'm going to talk more about this tomorrow and the next day, because tomorrow and next day we're going to talk about parenting. But life is hard. Get them ready for it. And so part of your legacy is going to be the leadership you're going to exercise with your children. Helping them understand that there are choices that they make. I have had a rule in my life as a pastor. Some of you, maybe a couple of you are going to be mad about me, uh, with me when I say this, but it's what I practice, what I've seen. I have had many times people through my years of pastor has called me and said, Pastor, my child, son, daughter is in jail. Please help me get it out, get him out, get her out. We need so much money. Please help us, pastor, help us. You know what I've said? No, I'm sorry. I will visit them. Now, it hasn't worked every single time, but the majority of the time for those that stayed when they came out, and I'm talking about short, short stays, right? I'm not talking about, you know, criminal cases where they spent 20 years. No, I'm talking about short stays. I visited them, went Bible studies, and when they came out, they were different. God had worked in them. And every single time, the parents just flew in and rescued them. Within a week or two, they were back or back in jail or back to the things they were doing. We have to help them understand that there are consequences, and they need to learn to that. To that. I keep on telling about my kids, I'm sorry, but, you know, my son was already driving on his own. One day he calls me and says, Dad, 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 I got a ticket. I'm sorry. I got a ticket. I said, oh, my son, what? What happened? He says, I was going too fast. And this and this and that. I said, wow. And and I knew what was coming. So before he said it, I said, so how are you going to pay for it? He stayed quiet and he says, well, I was hoping you will help me with that. I said, no. See, I didn't, there was a question I could have asked. I said, I, I, would, I could have said, what name is written on that ticket? But, you know, he has my name. <laughs> so 
So I didn't ask that question. <laughs> I said, you know, who got the ticket? He said, well, it was me. He said, okay, well, then, you know, pay for it and pay it quickly. Otherwise, you'll be in more trouble. Uh, he slowed down to me. In fact, sometimes I have to tell him, you know, go a little faster. <laughs> you know, it does help them. They understand that life has consequences and, and they're responsible for that. So your life, your leadership will affect them. If your actions inspire others, your dream to bring more, to learn more, to, to do more, to become more, you're a leader. Uh, friends, you are leaders, period, because you're leading your family one way or another, one destiny or the other, and one legacy or the other. And the idea is, or the question is, what are you doing to be effective? Um, time is my enemy this morning, so I want to finish with this. The great influence that God can exert through us when we completely surrender ourselves to him is described by John Wesley as follows. God can do more with one man who has committed himself 100% to God than he can do with a whole army of men who have only committed themselves 99% to God. Think about that, because it's heavy. You know, God never said, give me part of your heart. He never said, give me just a little bit of your time. He wants it all because he wants the best for us. He wants the best for you. He wants the best for your wife, your husband. He wants the best for your marriage, for your family, for your children, for your loved ones. And your surrender to him makes a huge difference in the people that are part of your household. You can live a life that will live the wrong neg legacy and will change their lives in negative ways, or you can do one that transforms their life. So what will your legacy be? What's going to happen with your life and the legacy that you're going to leave behind? Dr. Bates, would you host the prayer, prayer piece? Heavenly Father, thank you for the time that we've been able to spend hearing from Pastor Eli and Loida, and thank you for speaking to our hearts. And Father, there's so much information that's been shared. I pray that you would help us to take just one or two aspects just today and implement them in our life today. And I, I know that we'll see uh, incredible blessings poured out on our family. Thank you for your love for us, Father. Thank you for your goodness. Bless us and bless this place. In Christ's name, amen. Again, if you want to copy or listen to any of the seminars from this seminar or any of the other seminars that you've missed, those, are, those recordings are online at the conference website, and they're updated the following day after the seminar. So today's seminar will be uploaded and available tomorrow.